0: Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. How many are glad you came today? Amen. You may not have asked for this test, but you're here now, aren't you? You're going to live for Jesus? I hope that you do. And like I said, it's only foolish, it's only foolish for you to say you don't exist while you exist. It would be like me saying, I don't know a word of English. Is that true, I don't know a word of English? Can I say my mother had no children that lived? Can I say my mother had no children that lived? Can I say I don't exist? No, because I'm existing while I'm telling you that. So listen, you exist. You are here. Now, what are you going to do? I'm going to God. I'm going to my creator. And whatever pain I face, I'm trusting him. That is great faith. And that's what the world's about. That's what it's about. It was made by faith. It's maintained by faith. And it's going to all be controlled by faith in the end, the kingdom to come. It's all faith. That's it. You say, well, I don't do that faith thing. I just do what I can see. The idea that you only can do what you can see is a contradiction of terms because you don't see yourself. I was talking or listening to a debate the other day between atheists, and they were saying, you know, everything in our head is just chemicals, and that's who we are. You know, if that's who you are, then you know you don't exist because I can't show you in an x-ray, can I? I can show your chemical, but I can't show you. So you can't have both. Either you exist and you're not your chemicals or you don't exist because all you are is chemicals. Did that go too fast Sunday morning? Do you guys need to have a couple more cup of coffees? Do we need it to be Tuesday afternoon on your job where it really counts? Let me go through that again. A man said, I am only my brain. I am only my brain. I am only the chemicals in the brain. Love is only the chemical. Patriotism is only the chemical. All of this is just who you are. You have to understand the moment he said, all I am is my brain, he has now denied himself. He has contradicted himself no differently than if I said I don't exist. I have to exist to tell you I don't exist. It's the same contradiction of me saying I don't know a word of English while I just spoke the sentence. To say that you are just your brain, you are not a you are, you are now an it. Do you understand? To say I in my brain is a contradiction. If you are your brain, you are no longer an I, you are an it. Do you understand? Because now, when you look at the brain, all you see is chemicals. If that is all you are, you are not a you, it is chemicals. Chemicals. That's it. That's all you have. But is that all you are is chemicals? Or are you all, all you are is just the synapses firing right now if we put you under a microscope or an MRI. Is that all you are? Do I find you somewhere in the, in the motion of the lighting up of the x-ray? Of course not. So you are not your brain you use your brain. You are using your brain just like a pianist uses a piano. Some of you are not good at using your brain. That's why you come to church and learn better how to use your brain. But then you need to act like it when you leave out of here. Can I hear an amen? Okay. So we have to use our brain correctly and wisely, not contradicting Somebody put up a picture of a man that had a has sticker on a fence, and it said, nothing is true. What we just need to do is put another sticker underneath that and go, is that true? Yeah. Do you understand how the world lives in contradictions? They say things like this to get out of believing in the truth. They say foolish things to get you to stop talking to them. You know, they say, well, that's just your opinion. That's just your opinion. How do you know it's just my opinion? Have you tested it? Have you seen whether or not it's right or wrong? How do you know it's just my opinion? Because that's your opinion. It's your opinion. Now, when someone says 2 plus 2 is 4, do I say that's your opinion? No, because we know. We study. We go through it. Do you understand? So if that's just my opinion, I just say back to them, well, that's your opinion, and your opinion is wrong. Because I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you what the Word of God says. Now, if you want to say the Word of God is wrong, that's a whole nother discussion. And if you want to say the Word of God is wrong, before you can even have that discussion with me, you have to tell me what you stand on. Because I stand on the Word of God. That's where my logic, that's where my truth comes from. Tell me why you came from the goo through the zoo to you and you have logic. Can you put that in a laboratory and paint it blue? Can you give me a jar of that today, logic? So show that to me. Where did that come from? Because when we have a discussion about whether or not the Bible is true, you're going to use logic, aren't you? Aren't you going to try to show me a contradiction in the Bible? You're going to try to point to something that contradicts itself. Tell me, tell me why the law of contradiction exists. Why are you using that? Why don't you use the law of blue smells like orange on Tuesdays sometimes? Why don't you use that law? Because that law is nonsense. How do you know it's nonsense? Because you know what sense is. You know the difference between sense and nonsense. That's created in your image. Nobody uh, in the image of God. That was given to you at birth. No one had to teach you that. No one, And if someone tried to teach you that orange smells like blue on Tuesday sometimes, you wouldn't make it very far in life. Those of us who live a normal life understand that rationality and logic is a gift from God. And so that gift from God is how we judge things. But now you want to use the gift of God to judge God? That is like my two-year-old asking me to hold them so I can hold them. Then he slaps me in the face. If I never picked you up, you could never touch my face. If you don't borrow God's logic, you can't even argue with the Bible. Do you understand this? So we are teaching people. You don't have the position. You don't have the place yet to even form an argument about God. We're still deciding whether or not you're a he, she, or an it yet. Because if you're an it, you're not even a he or a she. I'm talking to chemicals. Do you understand? So get out of the mindset that you think science disproves God. Science is the basis of understanding the earth and the world that God created. And God gave us the laws of logic that ground science, and it comes from the mind, not from a brain of chemicals. A brain of chemicals does not understand laws. You do, and you are using that brain. And I say all of that to say, now don't use that brain to argue with God about your suffering, because I know suffering is real, and feelings are real, and feelings just want to be felt. Feelings, those poor old feelings just want to be felt all the time, don't they? Don't trust your feelings. You know, all you have to do to look at whether or not your feelings have been right is look at the scale and see how you've been doing with what you've been feeling you should eat every day. How have you been doing with that feeling? <laughs> Y'all get quiet now. People, people, people look away. I mean, we can't even control our appetite feeling. We can't even tr- control the feeling of appetite. Look about the feeling of love. Look, just look at how many relationships you've been in and check how many feelings you've had right about those people. <laughs> Didn't you feel right about them at some point? You trusted them, right? You felt that that was the one. And then like I always say, is just go back to your high school yearbook or your junior high yearbook and look at your haircut. And you felt that was right. You woke up that morning and said, I'm taking that picture, you know, with that mullet, those of you from the 80s. You thought you were taking that picture with your lip liner and your thin eyebrows, ladies. Come on. Come on. You thought that picture, you felt good. You felt good when you left the house with that, right? See, feelings, feelings may want to be felt, but they're not facts. There's difference between facts and feelings. Amen? Let's go to the Word, Matthew chapter 18. Anybody that says that the Bible never applies to real life, send them this sermon. Amen. Praise God. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 10. Those of you who are new with us, we're going through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's something that God told us to do, and, and here we are at this passage now about the wandering sheep. And if we have time, we'll get into the message on church discipline, dealing with sin in the church. Looking at verse 10, Jesus is speaking. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. He had just been talking about children in the previous verse. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, uh, here in this church, we do like to pick on our Roman Catholic friends a lot, and we teach them that they're very superstitious and not scriptural. scriptural. It is superstitious to believe your relatives come and uh, visit you. That is not scriptural. Your re- relatives will not do that. Now, demons can come and look like your relatives and, and come very nice, the Bible says, even as an angel of light to try to deceive you because they're trying to distract you from praying to God, seeking God, and they want you now to pray and seek your relative. Also, you can become very superstitious in the roman catholic church about praying to saints and and this idea is well if i ask my pastor to pray for me or i have a friend that prays for me and we know everybody's alive in heaven why can't i ask peter to pray for me well that may make sense that you know we ask each other to pray for each you know ask our friends to pray for each other so why not ask living saints well that may make sense but it's unbiblical jesus never told us to pray to the saints if he did, I would be praying to them all the time. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So you may make up a story in your mind that makes sense to how God should do it. And, I, and we could keep going there all day. I believe God could have a ladder that goes to heaven. I could just climb it every day. I could have lunch with God. I believe I could have God's uh, DM and message him. I mean, God could have done a lot of other things. He didn't. He did not choose that as a way of communication through your dead relatives or through saints. That's not the way he communicates. He communicates by the Son through the Holy Spirit. That's what we have in the Scripture. Well, what we do know that is true, though, is that all of us do have guardian angels. That is true. And I know many of us were taught that in the Roman Catholic Church, and that some would go so far that you're supposed to pray to your guardian angel. And that's weird, and don't do that. Because you will not pray to your guardian angel, you'll not praying to a demon that will pretend to be your guardian angel. So don't go walking around asking for your angel's name so that you and him or her, whatever, can have talks throughout the day. But we do know there are angels. Oh, and let me also clear up this myth. Not all Roman Catholics believe this, but sometimes you'll hear it and see it in old people's bathrooms, and that is that children who pass become naked, flying baby angels. That is not true. Babies that pass do not become naked, flying baby angels. That's weird. That's just weird. We do, not, we do not need to have more pictures of that. So, Ojuela, Grandma, if you're here, please take off the, the pictures of naked flying baby angels in your bathroom, wherever you may have placed them in your house. The statues of them with the little you know, little water coming out of in your garden, we don't need to see that. We don't need to see that baby angel there, right? And thank God it's coming out of the mouth, Okay. So the idea isn't people ever become angels, angels never become people. They're a separate created class. So let's just clarify that. The Bible's just telling us though, as Jesus is passing from one subject to the next, from children now to wandering sheep, he is telling us though that these children are so well regarded by God that they have angels. That watch over them. And so, uh, you know, we, a lot of times we, we, we try to uh, think, what does this look like? How is this in our everyday life? And we don't get much of a picture of this. But we do know that angels, when they come to appear with us, that they look just like us. Uh, Gabriel, Michael, the two angels that came with Yahweh and met with Abraham and had meals together. They can eat with us. And so we understand that there's something about them that, that can be like us but they're not like us in all ways and one of the things that's special about this is that the angel is the servant to the child not the child a servant to the angel so a lot of times we think because heaven is up here and we're down here that that means everything up here is greater than what's down here and that's not true when God made humans down here he put us over the angels up there so we're actually over the angels they are our servants. They serve us on behalf of God. And that, once again, can cause weird things as well, people commanding their angel to try to go get their laundry, go do this, go wash the car and all that. And you can't. You can't have a conversation commanding your angel to be like your Jeeves, to be your butler. But the idea is you can pray to God in the name of Jesus, and expect that the Holy Spirit will use angels to answer the prayer. So once again, we're we're not praying for the angel to do something. The angel will only do the thing based on what we have prayed to the Father in Jesus' name. So don't try to get slick and pray to the angel and ask them to do something. Pray to the Father in Jesus' name and then trust that the angel will be a part of the answer to prayer. And that's beautiful because once again, once again, God didn't have to use angels. He could just answer prayers on his own. And remember, God doesn't have to use us. He could just appear like a hologram in every church every Sunday and do this. But if we go back to the beginning, God had a purpose for mankind being made in his image. And so that image is like his dominion, his uh, ability to have authority. And so he gave us authority over the animals. He gave us authority over the angels. And that's why we can cast them out, fallen angels, demons are fallen fallen angels, we can cast them out in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? So it it looks like What what God wanted, if you kind of put the whole story together from this verse that we just read here, is that God wanted us to be his representatives, to have his power and authority to multiply himself. That's really what he's looking for, children in other words. So some people take that far and say, well, now we become gods, you know, and Mormons believe that. So since my father is God, I'm God. Just like if my father's human and I'm a child of a human father, then that means I'm a human child, right? So they try to say, well, God's our Father and I'm the spiritual child of God the Father, what does that make me? God the Son. But that's not how it works. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made mankind separate from themselves just like Steve Jobs is separate from the iPhone he created. He made us separate from himself to be like himself. So that's, that's as good as it gets, and I think that's good enough that we get to be like God in charge of angels, in charge of animals ruling over the earth. And then at the end here, if you just tie it together, what went wrong? We gave our authority to a fallen angel. When we gave our authority to the fallen angel, the devil, what happened? He then brought his curse here, and now we are punished because of that, hence the reason of Jesus coming, dying on the cross, to not only pay the penalty that we owe to God, but to destroy the power and authority that the devil has on the earth. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Now, if you look at verse 11, it's not in your NIV. Go to chapter 18, verse 11, Matthew. And a lot of cults always like to come to us and say, find a Bible verse, and they're trying to mess with you to show you that your Bible has been changed. So everybody look at their NIV, whether it's on their phone or in your hand. Do you see Matthew 18, verse 11 in your NIV? No. What do you see there instead? What do you see at verse 11? You see a little verse 11 in a bracket, right? And you see it with a footnote, and the footnote says, some manuscripts include here the words of Luke 19.10, which is, for the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. Now before you think, oh, the Bible has changed, what's going on? It's not the perfect Word of God, how can this be? This is right here an example of what we call transmission of the text of the Scripture, When the scripture was transmitted and handed down, there were some additions that were added and some subtractions accidentally by the scribes. Now before we go into the Da Vinci Code and you think somebody changed the Bible and then now we don't know what it says, that's foolishness. Because we are still discovering manuscripts that the Catholic Church or whoever you want to substitute in there never had. So, for example, in the 40s and 50s, we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls that had been buried since 200 B.C. Did the Roman Catholic Church have that? No, the Roman Catholic Church couldn't have changed what was buried in the ground for hundreds of years. We have just found recently how how much the Roman Empire uh, just hated the Bible, that they would take our scriptures and use it as a part of their mummying burial materials, and so in one of the graves that we found, we found that there were manuscripts of the scriptures as mummy cloth, and as we took it off and dated it, we found some of our earliest New Testament manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls was the Old Testament, and the New Testament manuscripts match what we have here. So what is the biggest problem? Let me just lift off the lid. I've talked about it before, but everybody can get it here. The biggest problem here is is that now we have too many pieces to the puzzle, and people are deciding, do we keep all of the pieces of the puzzle, or do we make a smaller puzzle? So let me give the example. If you are putting together a 100-piece puzzle, but you only have 90 pieces, can you put it together? No, because you're missing pieces, right? But if you have, like I do in my house, a 100-piece puzzle, but you got 120 pieces in there because your kids put other puzzle pieces in there, and that makes it real fun when you're trying to put it together, can you still technically put together the 100-piece puzzle? Yes, Yes, because you will eventually get to the 100-piece puzzle and find that you had 20 left over. And so now here is the big debate among Christians. No one is denying this. There is basically two sides. One side says... It is a hundred-piece puzzle, and we have 20 extra pieces, and that is an example of it right here, that one of the scribes was copying this passage and thought that it was missing a passage from another gospel because they tried to harmonize them quite often because remember, it's surround sound. They're not exactly the same. They're not contradicting. They're complementing, and so a scribe said, for the Son of Man is coming to save that which is lost. Now, is there anything in here that changes the Bible? So if somebody goes, oh, they changed the Bible, they changed the Bible. It's not like it says, for the son of man is a guru from India who has lo- learned the lost secrets of the Egyptian empire and is an alien. Like I've tried to put all the conspiracy theories together there. He's a, he's a Hindu god. He's an Egyptian magician or something. And then he's an alien, right? It doesn't say anything like that. All it is is a piece of scripture from another part of scripture that some scribe thought belonged in this. And so that's one point of view is to say, that is extra. That's, that's part of the 20 pieces that don't, don't go into the 100-piece puzzle. Then there are others, like the King James, like the classic versions, who say, if there's 120 pieces, that means it was 120 pieces. So they take it all. Now, if you want to know what side I am on, I'll only tell you if you take me out for Fogart to Chow, and we can have a long conversation. Overfogled a child, and then I'll explain it to you. Half kid. I am more towards the 120-piece puzzle. So that means I am more towards the classic older versions like the King James who said, if it's there, it belongs there. Let's not treat it like it doesn't belong there. So that's why I keep inserting those passages that are right there. Now, once again, now everybody listen to me if you got bored right there. If you got bored, please listen to me right now. I have an option as your pastor and the one who preaches here. Number one, I can treat you like an Oompa Loompa and just skip over that and not deal with it. So if you were bored, what you're basically telling me is treat me like an oompa-loompa because I just want you to get me to feel better about myself today. Don't explain to me why there's a footnote and I'm missing a verse in my Bible. You you can feel that way about yourself. I pity you. Or you can begin to learn why the scriptures are our scriptures and have a foundation. And, you know, every now and then say amen, nod your head, make me feel a little bit secure about myself because it's not the funnest thing I want to talk about every week when I deal with these issues, right? So do you want me to treat you like Oopaloompas and keep shouting and tell you your breakthrough's coming? Let's go from 10 to 12 and don't worry about 11. Don't don't worry about it. (laughs) No, I'm actually going to tell you why it goes from 10 to 12. And then others are like, well, I just take the King James because that's what Paul used. Well, okay, we love you. How many know Paul didn't read the King James? That's a King James joke, Okay. All right, for the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. i many make it say amen to them. Amen. amen. So what we're going to get into now is the, the final bit of today's message. Let's go here. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that truly wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you, Truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way. Somebody say, in the same way. In the same way. Thank you. Your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Isn't that a beautiful scripture to teach us? that even the little ones are concerned to God and he doesn't want them to perish. But listen, right here, if you're not a little one, does this apply to you? It does because he repeats this story and this is where I'm glad I took time on verse 11 to help you now understand Luke 15. Go to Luke 15. Now, when we look at the gospels, we wanna think of them as surround sound. So think of Matthew as your front right or front left. Think of Luke as your front right. Think of Mark as your back left speaker and uh, John as your back right speaker. How many know there's surround sound when you go to movie theaters and stuff? And how many know they plan for that, right? They plan for, so there you got these speakers that have different sounds. Well, I want you to see this The job of us as Bible students isn't trying to smash all of these stories together and to make them always agree. We also want to look for the differences because the differences are good. I'm going to say that again. The differences are good. Let me give you an example right here. I do two services, and there are some here that for whatever reason you guys just love Jesus, you'll actually stay for both. And how many know it's not preached the same? There are differences, but have I contradicted myself? No, I've just told the same message, the same story in a different way, and sometimes I add different comments. Listen to how Jesus tells this here, because remember, he's a traveling speaker for three and a half years. He's going to tell the same stories over and over and over again, and at times he'll say them different ways. Let's see, as he tells it this time, if you can see a difference. Go to chapter 15, verse 1. This is what Jesus said as the Pharisees were hating on him because he was seeing so many sinners uh, come and be his disciples. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. Somebody say, one sinner. Thank you who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Find the difference. And when you see it, I want you to raise your hand. And I want you to understand this. In the three and a half years of Jesus, we have in four gospels, the words in red or his teachings, an average man would speak in a week. Think about that. We have only an average man's words in a week to represent a person that was a speaker that spoke for three and a half years. What does that mean? He's repeating himself. So what do we get in this rendition that is different than the other rendition? It has a little bit to do with what I had you repeat. Who's ready for it? Raise up your hand if you want to give it a shot in Bible class today. Pastors are welcome to try. Come on. What is the difference Let's let's go back to the other version. Go back to Matthew. Look at what it says in verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these what? Little ones should perish. Now go back to the, the Luke. What does it say? Rejoicing over a one sinner. Does the difference matter? Yes. Because in Matthew, Jesus is teaching us he cares about the little ones. But what if you're not a little one anymore? Are you no longer a lost sheep? Are you no longer one that God cares about you, cares for you? Let me tell you where it gets tricky. When you go in the book of Matthew, it says that Jesus did not come for the whole world in that season. He only came from the lost, came for the lost sheep of Israel. Here's how people who use Jewish roots to try to convince you to go back to following the Old Testament law will twist the scripture. They'll say the one that Jesus is going after is a Jew. That's the only one he cares about. So if you're a Gentile, you're not one of his lost sheep. The Gentiles are dogs. Does everybody remember that when Jesus called a Gentile woman a dog? Let's go back to it because I don't hear everybody saying amen. Go to Matthew. Come on, let's just put it together before we close out here today. Go to Matthew chapter 15, because if you don't read it, you're going to lose the context. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, is she a Jew? No, that's not a Jewish place, Canaan. That's the place that where God told him to to rid the land of those people. It said from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the what? Lost sheep of Israel. So if it's True that he's only here for the lost sheep of Israel. What is a lost sheep he's going after? A lost sheep of Israel. Last time I checked in this church, we only had a few people of Israeli background. So what does that mean for the rest of us? God doesn't care. But we know that's not true. He cares for the whole world. He goes on to tell this woman that's not right to give the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. There's in, in the world uh, that, that they lived in, there was dogs and sheep. Sheep belonged to God. Dogs were the pagans. Keep going to verse 27. The woman then replies, Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Lord, even though I'm a Gentile, I still get the blessing of sun, I still get the blessing of good ground to, to have a harvest. I still get to live a life, don't I? So can I get the bread from the children, even if I'm, a, I'm from a dog nation? Verse 28, Jesus said, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Now, go to the notes, please. If we don't understand... That little ones is only speaking, uh, if we don't don't understand that little ones is is not eliminating sinners, it's only speaking to the context of children, what she's been in, we'll miss the entire point because Luke has to remind us that sheep are not just little ones. Sheep are also sinners from dog nations, from non-Jewish nations. Does everybody get that? I don't know if you do. Let's just go through it again. There's lost sheep. Jesus finds the lost sheep. He then says that the father doesn't want to lose one of these. If all we had was Matthew's retelling of the story, a person who says God only loves Jews could make a point. They would be taking it out of context, but they could make a point. When we go to the retelling, and let's show it in the Luke passage, please, we see that it's not just little ones that are lost sheep. It is also all sinners. So let's go through this now. How many of you are little Jewish children? Raise your hand if you're a little Jewish child. No little Jewish children here? Okay, so that means if we only take Matthew, God don't care what happens to you. He's not searching for you. He's not looking for you because you're not one of the lost little Jewish children. But is that all he ever said about lost sheep? No. What he also said about lost sheep is he said, guys, I'm going to tell it to you, but I'm going to put it in a little bit different of a person that I have in mind here. Before, because we read through 18, he had in mind children. He had already been talking about children. And he's talking about them having guardian angels and so forth. So he ties in the story of the lost sheep to little Jewish children. And he's letting these Jewish people know, I care so much about you that my father has angels over these children. And even if one were to wander off, I would make sure to go back and get them. So that was comforting to the Jewish people to know that Jesus cared about their children. However, we're not little Jewish children. We are like the woman who's a dog outside of the shepherd's fold. We're over here somewhere by Machu Picchu or by the Roman Colosseum. Are you guys listening to me? Or in some Chinese dynasty. We're we're way over here. We're not with Moses on the Ten Commandments. Are you guys getting that? We are worshiping our ancestors somewhere over here. We're worshiping false gods. And so when Jesus retells the story in Luke the difference matters because he says I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner oh I can relate to that Jesus hallelujah who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent I may not be a little Jewish boy but I for sure was a sinner are you listening to me I was a sinner that needed to be saved and so are you so So the context matters, and it encourages us. As we see throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he's not just the God of the Jews. The whole entire revelation is Old Covenant is being fulfilled, and now the party's being welcomed, uh, opened up to everybody. That's why he says at the end, In Matthew 28, go and make disciples of the nations. And literally what that Greek word is, ethnos, of all the ethnic people. So you can see Matthew is teaching us specifically for his audience which was primarily Jewish that's why he has a lot of Jewish themes but if you're watching Matthew he's specifically pointing out these things that Jesus is eventually going to open up the door for all the nations to come in and he's teaching us that what he's done for the Jews he's going to do for us so we don't want to cast off the Jewish context and be like well it doesn't matter if it was the Jews I'm just reading it now it applies to me no 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 before you just hop over the entire context start applying everything to you, understand what it meant to those people. What it meant was, I haven't forgot about you. You may be in oppression right now. The Romans were oppressing them, and we're like their slave masters, and we're wicked to them, and and, and Jesus is saying, you're not lost. You're, You're not lost beyond where I can find you, and you're not being protected. I even have guardian angels over these children, and so that teaches us how he's treated and cared for them. He'll care for us, and that's why I believe he says, Even the sinner gets the same treatment. Even the Gentile, the non-Jew. If you believe that, can I hear you say amen? amen? Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Come on. He came looking for you. Yes, he did. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Where did Jesus find you when you were a sinner? Did he find you at the club? Come on. Where were you at? Were you at your study hall in college going for your extra credit? Where did Jesus find you? Was it at a funeral when you were experiencing loss and turmoil? For some of you, was it in the county lockup? Belmont and Clark, where did Jesus find you? Let's be honest. Jesus found me with drugs in my pocket November 5th, 1995 at my mother's kitchen table asking for my mind to return because I felt like I had lost my mind. I'm so thankful that he found me. Did he ever not know where I was? No. Think about the lost and find the analogy back to the Garden of Eden. That's where we first see the hide and go seek, isn't it? Adam and Eve sin. They hear God walking through the garden. They run and hide, don't they? Don't they? And then they take the, the leaves and try to cover themselves. See, they tried to hide. And then God calls out to them: Adam, where are you? Where are you? Did he not know where they were? Of course he knew. He wanted to know, do you know where you are? Do you know what has happened? Were we ever really lost in God's mind? Of course not. He sees the whole world. He knows everything. But we were lost in our mind, in our heart, separated from him. And so he comes after us, doesn't he? And he finds us. And once again, in the analogy of He finds us. Does that mean like my children played in hide-and-go-seek, like, oh, I didn't know you were here. I found you. No, what it means is we have opened up our heart, and we have found him to be inside. See, we welcomed him in. He was at the door knocking, and we were running and hiding. Get the analogy, like Adam and Eve. He's coming towards us. He knows where we're at, and we're running. And some of you have been playing a 10-year hide-and-go-seek with Jesus. Some of you have been playing this hide-and-go-seek where you're always ducking and diving away from them. And he's saying, don't do that. I know where you are. Stop and let me find you. Stop and let me get you and wrap you in my arms. The love of God is so great that he laid down his life so that he could find all of us, so that sin would not always separate us from him. And here's the thing. You may feel at times that running from God makes you feel better because you think confessing and dealing with your issues is actually worse than hiding. And I want to tell you here today, that is not true. I knew I was running. Some of you really know you're running. Others, may, maybe not so much. You're just kind of like filling your head with all this busyness in life. You don't feel like you're running from God because you're so busy. But I hope I've awakened your heart today to start thinking about it. Like, yeah, I kind of am running from God. That's why I always have to be in a relationship. That's why I always try to be an overachiever. That's why I just I go after all these things in life because I know I'm running here. Okay, we will in your conscience. Praise God. But let me talk to those of you who already know you're running. You're what we call a backslider. Like, you, you know, right? now you're playing high and go seek with God. Let me just say this to you right now. The biggest the biggest regret you will have when you finally surrender, because I believe you will in Jesus' name, is that you didn't do it sooner. I am telling you. Come on. Come on. I am telling you from experience. I was a backslider. My parents brought me up in church. I knew all about it. I was running from God, etc. And the day I gave Jesus back my heart, he came into my life, I am telling you, it was one of the first thoughts, if not the first thought, was, man, why didn't I do this sooner? Can I get an amen again from somebody? Did you remember that feeling? It was like, boom, I should have did that sooner what was I thinking man there was nothing like the feeling of surrender and God coming into the, into the, the heart that I had that was so dirty that I was ashamed of and, and, and all the fears and doubts all these things I was hiding from Him man when He came in there was nothing like it it was, it was sweet surrender it was sweet peace the war inside my soul was over the wasting of my life was over surrender today. So those of you who are here, whether you've known it or not, surrender to God if you're lost. And then those of us who are his sheep, what are we supposed to get from this? It's our job to go find the lost sheep now. If the Father says there is more rejoicing over us going out here today and winning a sinner than us just having church, then what do we need to do, lotta? We need to get out there and win some sinners. We need to go find us some little sinners amen we need to go find them because that's what makes Jesus happy that's what makes the angels happy so today before we go in prayer we got five minutes for you to make a decision if you're a lost sheep to come forward the moment I start praying they start singing we'll dismiss afterwards but once we do the praying and singing now you come forward and we'll dismiss after that if you're a lost sheep And if you're here today and you just got on your heart, man, I want to reach my friends or family for Jesus, you come up too because you're getting a special, special calling and we don't want you to miss out on praying with some experienced folks up here. So we're going to dismiss after this prayer time in this song. As we begin to pray right now, come if that's you. Father, we ask you to set us on fire for you today, Jesus. Those who are lost sheep here today, God, we pray that they'll stop running and they'll start coming. If you're a lost sheep, come on, man, please sing a song as we start praying here. If you're a lost sheep, stop running, start coming. And if you want to pray for a certain friend or you want to pray for your, your upcoming school year or your job, come on, let's pray for lost family, now